0: There, you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, it's me. I'm back in your ears or however you listen. I always listened to podcasts with my earbuds while I was sewing so that I wouldn't miss anything because of the sewing machine noise and such. And then Dakota would call out to me, Mom, something. And I had to like quickly fumble and figure out which ear I'm supposed to tap to make it stop. And <laughs> it was a bit of a comical scene there. But I miss actually listening to podcasts. I haven't listened to them a lot because I don't have a long activity that I do with just my hands that doesn't need my ears and, you know, (laughs) other senses. I miss sewing. I miss that kind of handcraft creating. And I'll have to figure out how to get a little bit more of that into my nomadic life. Certainly when I go home, I'm sure I will get another sewing machine. I did give away my sewing machine to my sweet cousin Lou when I left because they really wanted it. And they really wanted to start creating crazy, wild pieces of clothing. And I look forward to seeing if they did that or not. So, I do have to get back into the podcast listening mode. And so, I appreciate all you out there who are listening to mine. I truly do. So, in the fall of 2000, we were rehearsing As You Like It, and we were starting to really understand that the whole costume business was going to have to step up a notch and we were going to have to really figure out how to make some much more convincing and beautiful costumes because we had 42 kids to costume in something that would pass for renaissance shepherd wear and such you know we were doing as you like it and that involves court clothes in the beginning of the play and then everyone else is dressed as shepherds and shepherdesses and funny people out in the country so that was fun and it wasn't as crazy as it might have been if it was a history play or something like that where you have to have lots of elizabethan gowns but in any case we set up a sweatshop Yes, you heard me right, where a few women could sew together in the same space and talk about wonderful creative handcrafts. That was such a delightful experience. And this sweatshop was set up at my mom's art studio. Now, I don't know if I have talked about this, but I'm going to make my mom start to sound like a land baron in Sneedon's Landing because... Not only had she purchased Toad Hall in the 80s when she got her inheritance from my grandfather, but she also purchased this house that was at the end of Sneedon's Landing just as 9W crossed it, which at the time, and definitely when I was growing up in the 60s, it was not such a busy and dangerous and scary intersection, but... Now it has definitely grown into this terrifying place where you absolutely have to be very careful when you cross that street because trucks barrel down and people ignore the light. And yeah, there have been some awful accidents on that intersection. But at the time when she bought it, it had been a home and in fact, a friend of mine had lived there when I was little and had first moved into Steen's Landing. And I remember playing in that house and going up the stairs and going into bedroom where she had this wonderful little dollhouse, but no actual dolls. She had little mice that inhabited it. Kind of like Hunkamunka and Tom Thumb, if you are a Beatrix Potter fan. And I remember many playdates at that house. And so when my mom bought it, I was like, oh, wow, I remember that house. And she bought it and turned it into an art studio. She ripped out the master bedroom that was to the right of the stairs in the house. And she created this two-story art studio where she could work on her artwork that had just mountains of skylights. And so all of this wonderful natural light came in. And she was able to create these huge collages and huge paintings, as well as the portraits that she does so beautifully in bronze. And on the other side of this house, there was a garage. And they had taken the garage and also renovated it with a ton of skylights and turned it into a studio for Pat. Pat had her own crafty and art type pursuits. She was a creator of rubber stamps, which in the 90s was not the crazy Michael's adventure that it is now where you could just, you know, walk into Michael's and buy a gazillion different kinds of rubber stamps that have all kinds of silly sayings on them and little animals. When Pat was making them, handmade rubber stamps were a novelty, a wonderful, unique thing. Hers were sort of African art-inspired rubber stamps of different animals and different goddess symbols and things like that and she would sell them online and she was doing all right with that and she also made films. She was a maverick and ahead of her time in that because she was making early exposés of the abuse of farm animals in short film. And though they never got too much play because this was all still in, in video format, you know, beta videos and such like that. And I think that she didn't quite know how to market them, where to send them. And they were trying to get them marketed by some big production company, but that didn't happen. But it's still pretty commendable that she was trying to get that message out into the world. So in any case, she had a beautiful studio space there in the garage and she said hey let's set up some sewing space here and that would be really fun to sew as part of a group and that was the first iteration of the sweatshop gang and as the years went on that group of women changed and morphed and different people helped us out but the costumes were always a key element in how the production was going to develop and unfold because it was the visual storytelling that went along with the words. And I loved envisioning it and how it would work and trying to communicate that to other sewers. It was great. So we were rehearsing As You Like It. And as I said, we had two casts and indeed that element of comparison started to creep in there, which was very difficult. Savannah was one of the Rosalinds, Elizabeth was one of the Rosalinds, Noah was one of the Orlandos, and Noah was turning out to be quite a wonderful actor. But he was 10 and also starting to be quite a handful in terms of being a bit of a belligerent boy. He was starting to be a bit disrespectful, and he was disruptive in rehearsals. He was trying to challenge me and say that he didn't like the way I did certain things. And maybe he didn't want to be there after all and all of this stuff. And I was like, what is this? Why is this coming up now? This is so annoying. And I got really angry and I went to Pat and complained and I said, look, I cannot be responsible for one kid's discipline over the whole group. I need the group to function as a smooth, cohesive whole He cannot continue like this. And we had a big fight about it, of course, (laughs) mom to mom. And then it was decided that fine, okay, then Pat would come to rehearsals. Whenever Noah came to rehearsals, Pat would come to rehearsals too. And that worked out okay. (laughs) And we got through it. But little did I know that the reason for all of his acting out was going to come out very soon. Because sometime in that fall... We all got the terrible news that Pat's cancer had resurfaced. After a few years in remission, everyone had assumed that she was doing well. But we got this news and it was shocking. She had only just celebrated her 50th birthday with a beautiful, twinkly, light, catered dinner in the studio with all of her especial women friends. And now she was starting down this dark and black Rode once again and it was very very scary and meanwhile other scary things were happening too my cousin Laura was getting divorced as well and her divorce would turn out to be very much more contentious than mine with big ugly conflicts and it was funny because a few years after I was divorced my friend Janice later said When I get divorced, I want to be divorced like you, (laughs) as if I knew something that other people didn't know. But Dave and I really came to be much more kind to each other and respectful after the initial, you know, year or two of it being very, very difficult and angry. So I'm very grateful for that. And speaking of which, actually, I didn't talk about when that got finalized In late 2000, although we had gone to a mediator and come up with an agreement, which turned out to be a legal binding document, Dave decided that that wasn't going to work for him anymore. That mediation document had been filed with the court system, and it automatically turned into a divorce after three years' time. But Dave did not want to wait three years he wanted this chapter to be closed. So in the fall of 2000, he filed divorce papers and we started putting that through in a quicker way so that he could have that resolved. And when those papers came, I'll tell you, it was quite shocking to me too, because, wow, that was so very final and so very black and white at that point. But there it was we had the paperwork and we were officially divorced from each other and this meant for Dave that he could move on because he didn't like the separation place at all it was so deeply uncomfortable to him so being divorced kind of made him free and me too so that led us into a whole new chapter and more to come on that and I'll tell you about it soon. Thanks for being here.